You're listening to the Radical Departures podcast, your source for startup storytelling. I'm your host, Abby Klein. On the show, I interview entrepreneurs and other professionals from throughout the French and greater European startup ecosystems. We look at some of the interesting new developments that have taken place in France over the last few years and how the country is developing into a startup nation. On Radical Departures, you'll hear founders of some of the hottest companies share their stories and important things they've learned along the way. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review in iTunes. This is episode 33 of the Radical Departures podcast. My guest today is Vincent Nalatambi, CEO and co-founder of Tempau, a solution that enables you to simultaneously connect your smartphone or other tech to multiple Bluetooth speakers or headphones. They've just raised a round of $4 million and are ready to expand internationally. Vincent spoke to me about his background, his time in San Francisco with the refiners, how they'll build out the company, and much more. So without further ado, here's episode 33 with Vincent Nalatambi. So my guest today is Vincent Nalatambi. Welcome, Vincent. Hi. You are the co-founder of Tempau. Yes. So tell us about Tempau. So Tempau is a, is a company working exclusively on the Bluetooth protocol. So most people think that Bluetooth is done. They, like, they think it's a, it's a protocol that we all take for granted. But actually, we think that there, there is like, so much more we could do. And we have a lot of ideas on how we could improve the Bluetooth protocols. And so we have a first product that is like, uh, called Tempo Audio Profile. And it's an upgrade of the Bluetooth audio on your smartphone. You can stream music from one smartphone to multiple Bluetooth speakers or multiple Bluetooth headphones. So right now, if you're iPhone, you actually can connect only one pair of headphones or, or one speaker. But without software within your iPhone, you could connect multiple, like one Bose speaker, one Jawbone speaker, one GBL speaker, all together and make them play the music in sync. So you are the CEO of the company. Yes. You're the business brains behind the company. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know if we, we should say brains, but <laughs> I'm the business guy behind the company. We, we, are, okay. we are a nine-people company, three co-founders. I'm actually the only guy not coding right now. I'm, I'm, the, I'm still the only non-tech guy in the company, but things are going to change, I hope. So tell us about the evolution of Tempo. So we created Tempo in 2016. Uh, with this idea in mind, like about creating a sound system using multiple Bluetooth speakers. And like we spent almost one year developing the product, working on like how to create this solution because it wasn't supposed to be possible before. And so my co-founder started that. And then we, we had some developers joining the team, Nicolas and Matt helping us as well. And so we ended up having a, a first prototype in like at the end of 2016. And so at this time, we decided that it was time to split the team. So I went to the U.S. for four months. Uh, I joined an accelerator program called the Refiners there um, in San Francisco. And so I was like the BD guy in San Francisco. Meanwhile, my team was working on the product, developing it. Like I had a lot of meetings there. I met a lot of people. And I've met people who actually knew very well the kind of business we wanted to create, which is licensing business model. And I ended up meeting with people just telling me, you shouldn't be in Silicon Valley, you have nothing to do here. You should go to Shenzhen in Asia, in China. You should go to Korea. You should meet with the smartphone manufacturers. 
So at that time, I, I thought I had no choice. So I just booked a ticket to go to Shenzhen in China. And I spent three weeks there. And that's how I ended up meeting with a lot of smartphone manufacturers. And now we have our first contract, actually, with uh, Lenovo, uh, which owns the Motorola brand. And we're in discussions with a lot of smartphone brands to, to license our piece of software to the tech giants. What was that like creating, I'm um, just buying a plane ticket and going? I mean, I assume you had some connections before you went. Not really. Really, not at all, actually. So I called Business France, uh, which is a, a French entity that is supposed to help French company to expand and to go to new territories. So I just called them and said, oh, I want to come to China in two weeks. Could you help me having meetings? Could you help me meeting people? And so like, that's what we've done. And we were so lucky to find one guy, uh, Olivier, at uh, Business France. He really loved our product. And we like now we are friends, actually. And he really, he really helped me there to get a lot of meetings. And that's how we had our first network in Asia. So what were some of the cultural differences that took you by surprise, let's say, in Asia? There are a lot. <laughs> but actually, there are also some cultural differences between the U.S. and France. When you arrive for the first time in San Francisco, when you're from Paris, uh, you think, like, oh, it's, it's like the same city. Like, I like San Francisco. Everything seems so similar. Like you say, oh, people are like the one I see in, in, in Paris. But then you realize after one month that definitely that's the case. Uh, I guess when you go to Shenzhen for the first time, immediately you realize that that's not the same country, that's not the same culture, and you need to adapt. So I, I, was, I was aware of that. So, I don't know, there are a lot of cultural differences which we should discuss. I would say like how to make sure people understand you is something that is very important. Like in the US, people are really straight to the point. It's really easy to convey a message. In Asia, it takes more time. You need to be more careful and I think the other thing is, in, in Asia, you need to create a bond with the people you're talking to and the people you want to do business with. They need to know you personally. It's really important. When you go to the U.S. in San Francisco, you may have a meeting for 15 minutes. And it's a great meeting. You, have, you may have a deal after that. You just need 15 minutes, and then you can follow up over email. If you go to Shenzhen, they need to see you one time, two times, three times. So first, they will understand that you're serious about making business in China. And then you're like, they know you, like they know your face, they know what you want to do, they, maybe you have drinks with them, you have dinner with them, it's extremely important there. And when you went to San Francisco, so you went for the refiners? Yes. So I stayed a few months after that. Okay. And how did you make connections when you were there? Did the accelerator program really bring that to you or yes. did you have to work pretty hard also? Both. Obviously, that's the first mission of the accelerator, but I think that if you, you should also put a lot of work on, on that. Yeah, and so first, the first thing I did was obviously talk to the French community in, in the Silicon Valley, which like, it's a big community, extremely well connected, dispatched in many companies. You have French people at Amazon, at, at Google, at Microsoft. So it's extremely easy to start having connections if you're French, because people tend to be like nice and okay, oh, you're a French guy trying to come to create a company. Okay, just let's have a coffee. It's very easy. And I would say that then it's just network effects. Like you meet one person. Like you discuss, they understand what you want to do. They notice that you're someone relevant. You're not just here for fun. You're creating something real. So they can introduce you to some other people. So some other people without taking a big risk. So that, that's what happened for us. So we first met with a lot of French guys. And then we said, okay, this guy seems serious. Like he has something real. So we can introduce this guy to our US friends. 
And that's how I ended up meeting with a lot of American people, uh, which are the ones actually I really wanted to meet at first. And what have you brought back with you from the U.S.? Maybe not culturally, but in, in terms of business, how you conduct yourself. Did you take anything from your time there in particular that you've now implemented here? Or is it totally different and you couldn't do things the same way? You certainly can't have just one 15-minute meeting and then have a deal. In yeah. France, but. <laughs> yeah, I try to be on time all the time, but I always fail. <laughs> <laughs> Even for this interview, I was, I was late. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> Only five minutes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm like, I don't know. I think it's, um, as I created this company just after my studies, I guess my first really professional experience is Tempo. So I spent like six out of the first 12 months of my professional experience directly in San Francisco. So I guess that I'm, I already have this U.S. Uh, way of business. I don't really think about that. You were formed that way. Kind of. Did you have to do internships in, uh, during your studies here? Did you get some experience here? Or? Yeah, I did. I did some internships uh, in uh, marketing companies, uh, which was great, but um, definitely different from what I'm doing now. And how did the idea come about and how did you get involved with your co-founders? So we were actually students at UC Berkeley. We wanted to create something in the consumer electronic space. So that was really our thing. We, like, we really loved hardware, everything that was happening about like IoT devices, uh, new kind of hardware devices. And we wanted to create something in this space. And we looked specifically at the audio market because we thought it was particularly interesting and at that time, we found that there were no, not so many innovations in this space, which today may seem completely absurd, knowing that like, the biggest new devices that were launched last year were two audio devices, uh, Amazon Echo, Google Home, like the kind of smart speaker devices, and Apple AirPods, like the true wireless earbuds. So these are like the two new major consumer electronic devices that happened last year, and they are both are audio-related. But when we started two years ago, it was like, oh, audio seems to be a bit old, same companies all the time. So let's, let's create something in audio. And so we had an approach uh, that, that would mix, um, I would say, try to understand how to create a better user experience. So we try to understand, like, yeah, how to improve the experience for the users buying audio products. And at the same time, trying to look at the audio market figures, the technical side. So we actually realized that, you know, 10 years ago when you were buying a audio devices, on audio device, it was always stereo. It was like not a question. I have actually two speakers and you can create stereo left and right. But then, like because of Bluetooth, Bluetooth was made for one-to-one -one connection. So it was like because of the practicity and the portability of the Bluetooth, more and more Bluetooth devices were actually uh, coming on the market. And like the market was actually shifting from like wired devices to Bluetooth devices. But stereo wasn't possible anymore. So it was really how we started. We said, okay, how is it possible that all the devices now are Bluetooth? Most of the devices now are Bluetooth. All the new devices are Bluetooth. But we cannot do stereo, which is one of the basic things when you want to listen to good music. So that's how we started. And then we started working on the technology. We didn't realize at the time that it was that difficult. And we didn't realize that the positioning that we had and what we wanted to create on the Bluetooth industry was actually something new. And so we started to realize that maybe our ambition should be bigger than just the audio space, and we should look at all the consumer electronic space and how we could use Bluetooth to actually improve the user experience. And you met your co-founders, you said, at UC Berkeley. Yes. What was the program that you guys were doing there? It was an exchange program. So they were doing an exchange program with Polytechnic, and I was doing one with uh, ESSEC Business School. Okay. So you know, you know how French people tend to stay together? Yeah. 
all the time. <laughs> wherever you go in like, the world. Where, wherever you go in the world. So that's what we did. Okay. Uh, and what were you focused on? Were you focused on entrepreneurship or? Definitely. I went there because I wanted to create my own business. I wanted to go to the U.S. for the first time. So that was really important. For you had me. never been before? No. Wow. Okay. And then you just stayed? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and have you always considered yourself an entrepreneur or is that's always been something you wanted to do? Not at all. I'm from Ardèche, which is like, I think the, the region in France with the less population. It's really the countryside. So I had honestly no idea what a startup was before 20 years old. But that's when I arrived in Paris, like uh, seven years ago. I started to um, look at what all these guys were doing. That's when I started, but uh, not before. In the last seven years, a lot has changed here in terms of startups and uh, new technology. And what do you think about how things are going now here? In Paris? Mm -hmm. The way I see it, and also from the founder side, I have a lot of my friends who are also founders. The good thing is I see more and more founders with great ambition. And like really the ambition to create a company that would be a global company and not just a French company or not just an European company, but really founders who actually want to try, try to create a very big company. And that's um, something that I really love. So obviously you could say, you know, depending on what time of the, of the year, you could say, oh, things are going extremely well, things are not going well. But the thing is, even if you raise Series A, Series B, Series C, you're still a startup, so it means that you, are, you still have a high probability of failure. So I don't really care about the startups that are, like, right now succeeding or failing. The thing that is interesting for me is that there are more and more founders and companies trying to become leaders on their markets. So I think the mindset is the right one. And I'm, like, I'm really excited for the, like, next three, four, five years because I think that's only in three or four, five years that we can see the results of all these companies that were created in the past five years. Not, not now, and not before, and not next year. Only in like three, four, five years. And what do you think has been primarily responsible for that shift in mindset here? It doesn't go along with our idea of typical France bureaucracy, and it takes a really long time to get anything done, and people like to do things the old way, yeah. and all of those cliches. To be honest, I don't know. Like, I, I just, like, the only people I know in business in Paris are, like, extremely efficient, they walk crazy all the time. It's impressive. So I, I don't really know this kind of business you describe. My friends in Paris, all the people I know, all the people I discuss for business purpose, they are all in the same mindset as we are. It's the new generation, I guess. Not necessarily, because we disc you, you know, when you discuss with, uh, I don't know, Quentin Sagnier, who is the CEO of De Vialet, he's incredible. He's not 25 years old. And when you look at all the founders, so I was at, uh, I was at an event organized by Baldaton, RVC last week. I went one of the youngest guy. People who were like 40, 50 years old, they were like extremely impressive and they were really focused on what they wanted to accomplish. So I don't think it's a matter of generation. So what is next for you guys? You recently announced something pretty exciting. Yeah. So we, we recently announced our Series A with uh, Bolotan Capital. So we raised uh, 3 million euros. That's a good step for us. Like I may have some people helping me with the business in the next couple of couple of months, <laughs> so that's already a good thing. So no, look, for us, it's still we're still a very small company, but we we thought it was time to accelerate because we had a lot of plans and a lot of ambitions. So now we want to open, for instance, our first office in in China directly, and we want to grow the technical team. That's the two main axes for this development. So right now we have only one client, one customer, which is uh, Motorola. 
And now we are in discussions with a lot of companies in Korea, in Japan, in the US, uh, in China. And uh, it's, time, it's time to have like more than just one customer. Yeah, more than just one customer and also more than just you yes, doing that. definitely. What is that like to handle all of that on your own? Because, I mean, you have, you're dealing with cultural differences, language differences, time differences. I'm not the only one. Like my, my two co-founders, they were very technical at first when we started. But now they are more and more like uh, business oriented. But it's still the founding team only. It helps defining what should be your focus. Because I don't have a lot of time and I like to sleep. So uh, I need to choose very carefully uh, what I should focus on. That was one of the key things for me, I think. I think as, like, as the only business guy, I really had to decide, okay, this is a priority, this is not. The thing is, when it's not a priority, I, I should just not work on, on that. So that was kind of the way we worked. Is it difficult for you? Was it difficult for you at the beginning being the only non-tech guy? Do you have to kind of corral your co-founders and be like, no, no, guys, okay, let's be uh, realistic here. Let's focus. <laughs> actually, not really. Things went like really well from the very beginning. We actually were working very in a very independent way with my co-founders. They were taking part of the technical side. I trust them for that. And so I could be focused on other things. From the very beginning, it, was, it went very well. What are some of the challenges that you anticipate moving forward as you grow? And particularly if you want to open an office abroad, that far abroad, yeah. what do you envision as uh, coming up potential obstacles that you will face? I think recruiting the best person will be key. thing is, even with this fundraising, we have maybe two years for, for us, 18 months in front of us. So a failed recruitment like for a key position like the one we have in China, may cost us like six or nine months. Because our sales cycle is extremely long as well, we need time to notice if it's a failure or if it's a success. So I cannot just say after one month or one week, okay, this guy is not working well. So this guy is not the right person for the company. So I need, I need at least a few months to notice that. And I think this will actually be even more knowing that this person is in China and I'm in France. That will be one of the key thing for us how to hire the right person how to make sure that he can like know the, the culture of the company how can i like which kpis should i work with should i use to monitor what he's doing in china of course i will go to china a lot i think it, it would be necessary but still i cannot be there i don't speak mandarin so it's going to be complicated hopefully uh, our investors they could help us with that they, they have experience in licensing business in doing business with uh, other countries I'm a bit afraid of that, to be honest. Mm. Like, I'm afraid that we hire the wrong person and then we lost six, nine months, which is a complete sales cycle. And then we, we need to wait for another six months to be on the next smartphone. That's something difficult. And looking backwards at your development so far, is there anything that you look and go, oh my God, I wish I'd done that totally differently? Or this is you know, a major thing that you've learned that you would advise somebody who's behind you a couple of years Obviously, there are things that I would have done differently, but the thing is, I think it's also great to make mistakes and to, and to learn and to, and to say, okay, when you're a CEO, the job I was doing like nine months ago, six months ago, three months ago, now, and the job that I will be doing in three months, like these are completely different jobs. But I can still use what I've learned like before to, to improve. And so I need to make mistakes. I always want things to be quicker. So one of the things I'm wondering, actually, if maybe I should have just moved completely to China. That is still one of, the, one of my big questions. Like, instead of maybe just opening 
a lot of this, like hiring someone in Shenzhen, maybe I should just learn Chinese and move to, move to Shenzhen. It would be more efficient for the company. And maybe I should have done that after San Francisco, not just going to China for three weeks, but spending like three months there. Maybe thanks to that, we could have like three, four clients and not just one. But that's a big commitment though. Yeah, it's a big commitment <laughs> though. Do you give back to the entrepreneur, the startup community in any particular ways? I try to, even if uh, with my position right now, it's uh, a bit like ambitious to say that I give back, but I receive actually at least. <laughs> um, that's actually one of the things I learned from Silicon Valley. And I really love that. This guy is helping me. I will not necessarily help him back, but I will help someone. I try to do that. When I arrived first in Silicon Valley, uh, I've met with several guys, French mostly. Uh, they really helped me. And they introduced me to a lot of people. They advised me on, on a lot of things. So it was amazing. And I, honestly, the company wouldn't be the same if I didn't have these advisors helping me. So I try to do the same thing. But of course, at my level, it's a bit more complicated because I, I don't have a lot to offer. But still, I have some friends uh, who are trying to create companies who are like first months, for two, first two months, first three months. So still, I think I could be helpful. So I try to. I think it's extremely important to create this kind of culture in France. And I think it's happening. Not with everyone, but I think it's happening. And I see that because I can ask any entrepreneur in France for 20 minutes for a coffee and he will give me advice. And that's remarkable. If I had one wish, like one thing we should copy from Silicon Valley, it's exactly this give back culture that we should have in the French ecosystem. And that's new. That doesn't, it hadn't existed before. The thing is when you, what people working in the US told me is it's actually something very specific to the Silicon Valley. And, but I, I see it in, in French now, in France now. So, uh, so I don't know if it didn't exist before or if we are not maybe not as good as US guys to market something. We are known for that, I guess. <laughs> but still, like, I think in the startup community, it really, it really exists. Yeah, and it's important also because this business environment can feel really daunting, I think, when you're just starting out and you don't know people mm. and you don't know what you're supposed to be doing. And also it can feel kind of cutthroat and competitive. Yeah. And breaking that down a little bit and, and helping each other, I think, is really important. Maybe it's different for us because Europe is not our market. Our market is really Asia and the U.S., we are not in competition with anyone in France. Which is great. Which is great. <laughs> we can discuss with everyone and we can get advice from anyone. So that, that may be a bit different for us. Um, but I really, I never felt this spirit of competition among startups in France. So tell us about the partners who you've chosen to work with and, and why. No, Motorola is a great first partner. It's a strong brand, even if people in France are asking if this brand still exists. <laughs> Uh, but it's a strong brand and they have a very good engineering culture. So it was uh, really like a, a chance for us to work with them. So what happened is actually they, I was in the US and uh, one of my advisors uh, actually knew someone in Asia who knew someone at Motorola. And so that's uh, when I went to China for the first time and actually ended up meeting with this guy that was an introduction from an introduction. And he was like, oh guys, I love this tech. It's great. Okay, let's do it. And he was actually the vice president of Lenovo in charge of uh, mobile innovation. So it was a perfect guy for us. And so we went to have some drinks together. Uh, we did the demo. We discussed for a long time. And I, I, I saw him again a few weeks after at CES in Vegas. And I saw him again at MWC in Barcelona. 
And then in Barcelona, he said, okay, I want to start this project, so let's do it. So that's how it started. Has that led you to anyone else? or? So of course, in, in this market, the main challenge for a startup is to be which credibility do we have if we are just a 10-people company and we are dealing with tech giants. So having a first deal with Lenovo is actually something very strong. And now when we go talk to Sony or to Samsung or to LG or to Huawei, we have this credibility because we say, oh, we have a first deal, a design win with Lenovo, and we are already embedded in 2 million smartphones. That's actually something that is, like, it's a game changer for us. Our sales are really different now. Uh, it's more focused on the product, more focused on what we could do on the use cases. Before it was really about, like, is this tech even working? Mm. And who are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, convincing people. Yes. Right? Yeah. So now we, are, we actually, we haven't announced uh, anything yet, but uh, we are working very closely with a lot of partners. And uh, we hope that we, it may lead to uh, several contracts by the end of the year. That's on the Android side. What yes. about on the other side, the giant? Apple has a different strategy. So the thing you need to understand is implementing software from third party for Android smartphones is actually something very common. Like there are a lot of companies having this licensing business model. Uh, Apple is a bit different. Uh, they actually uh, do a lot internally. They decide what is a product roadmap. They are not really listening to opportunities because that's what we are. We are an opportunity. When we go talk to Lenovo, we are an opportunity for him. We say, hey, we have this product. You didn't think about that before, but it may be a good, a good idea for your roadmap. Apple, they don't really like that. We have our roadmap. We know what's good for our product, and that's all. That being said, obviously, when I was in the US, I wanted to meet with Apple. It was one of, one of my main challenges. So I think it was the third month uh, in San Francisco. For every month, I had my own challenges. Okay, this month, I want to meet with Google. And the next month, I wanted to meet with Apple. So it was my challenge for the month. And so basically what I've done is every single person I've met during this month, I was asking, hey, by the way, do you know someone working for Apple? When you're in Silicon Valley, everyone knows someone working for Apple. And I ended up having like five, six, seven, eight connections to Apple, something sometimes like completely unrelated to what we were doing. But this guy was working for Apple, like selling things in an Apple store. And we actually ended up having like a lot of connections. And so the process was always the same. They said, okay, why not? Send me a blurb, like a short description of what you're doing and a video, and I will forward it to one person I know who may forward it to the right person. I said, cool. And so I was basically sending this same paragraph of like three to four lines and the same video all the time to all my contacts. Sometimes I was trying to you know, change the text, maybe change the wording to see if it was more efficient. I had like no answer, never. And at the end of the month, I actually uh, received an email from uh, the head of connectivity at Apple, who was leading the Bluetooth connectivity. And he said, like, okay, let's meet. Let's have, let's have lunch. And so the guy is amazing. He's really nice, really cool. And he said, usually I don't answer startups, but I like received like eight times your blurb. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, okay, let's meet this guy to see what he's doing. What the he importance has. of being persistent. Yeah. I think he was more amused than mm -hmm. interested in what we've done, <laughs> that what we did. So, but he was really nice. He actually gave us some advice. Actually, we are still in touch. So, who knows? Maybe I saw him last time I was in in the US, and we had a great demo of our new, of our new product. So, he is he is interested actually. So, who knows? Maybe in the future we may be able to have a deal with Apple, but it's actually complicated. So, Vincent, thank you for taking the time to join me. Thanks for hosting me. I think what you guys are doing is really inspiring and your persistence is inspiring for sure.
One last question before you go. How yeah. do you define success? Well, in my case, and that's um, really, I don't think success is something generic that you could define for everyone. But in my case, what I really want to, to create is to create a deep tech company in Europe that would be global, that could be a billion dollar company with a lot of employees, having people working with everywhere in Asia, in the US. So I really want that. I really want to be able to create a giant tech company in Europe. We need more. And so that's for me, at this time of my life, that's what I call success. But obviously it was not the case five years ago and it will not be the case 10 years from now. That wraps up another episode of Radical Departures. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us a review and let us know who you'd like to hear on the show. Catch you next week.